good to be with you again. Uh, if you make your way in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. So let me uh, read that text and then we'll uh, ask for the Lord's help in prayer. Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's ask the Lord's help in prayer. Father God, we do come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask uh, this evening for for your grace as we consider uh, what it is to live this Christian life, we pray that you would give us grace and understanding. We pray you would give us eyes to see your great mercy towards us in Christ. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to offer ourselves totally and completely to you, to be holy, to be yours. And we pray that you would help us to grow in this day by day, step by step, Uh, in imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your spirit would be with us in this time. Give us grace, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we can divide the book of Romans into two big sections, right? The chapters 1 through 12, or 1 through 11, I should say, uh, is mainly doctrinal, right? It is Paul is teaching us the great doctrines of the faith, our, our sin, right, man's depravity, and then on to the redemption that is through Christ and how that redemption is by faith and how that, that redemption has been revealed in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. And then the second half of the book, chapters 12 through 16, focus then on application, right, Christian living. How should we live as Christians? How should we live in light of these great truths? And so then joining the two halves of the book together is our text, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And with these very short, concise verses, Paul gives us a really simple summary of the Christian life. Uh, it's, it's very simple, very, very easy to, to see and to remember. Uh, he shows us what is the motive of the Christian life. He shows us what is the aim of the Christian life. And then he shows us what is the process of the Christian life. And we're, So we're going to look at those three things in the text. Uh, but maybe to, to start off, why is, why is this important? It's always good to say why your subject is important. Um, One of the reasons why it's important 
is even though there's been, and we, we thank God for such a um, revival, if you will, a revival of Reformed theology, a revival of understanding the great uh, truths of grace, the doctrines of grace in the scriptures, uh, people have rightly observed somewhat of a disconnect between the great doctrines of grace and then the holy living, the, the godly living that should go along with it. And so our, our text really connects those two things together, helps us see how these grand truths of God's grace, how these mountains of biblical doctrine should be brought down and applied to our life, to our everyday living. And so we're going to see how Paul connects these things. Another reason why this subject is important is because there are so many alternatives, uh, quick ways to grow as a Christian that are offered right in the, in the Christian life. And this is nothing new. We see this in, uh, even in the scriptures itself. Let's turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 18 and 19. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, By his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So the Colossians were um, experiencing these false teachers who came in and who were offering different views of the Christian life, how how to grow as a Christian. They emphasized things such as. disciplined practices, right? Asceticism, denying yourself this thing or that thing. Or uh, they went off and said, talked about their spiritual experiences, right? If you really want to grow as a Christian, have these spiritual experiences. And And the same is true today. We have these same things, people offering, right? Well, yeah, okay, there's the ordinary Christian life. But if you really want you know, the next level Christian life. This is what you need to do, right? You need to do these things. You need to have these spiritual experiences. You need to have this spiritual gift or read this book or something like that. And Paul brings them right back and says, no, true spiritual growth that is from God comes through holding fast to our head. And that is Christ. Holding fast to Christ, faith in Him, seeing our our all in Him, that is a growth that is from God. So so because of these reasons, right? because there seems to be a disconnect between good doctrine and good living, Christian living, because there's all these distractions and better way to do this, faster way to grow as a Christian. We, we, need, to, we need to have a, we need a simple uh, guide, 
a simple guide to the Christian life. What does it mean to be a Christian and to live as a Christian? What are, what are the simple things that I can remember every, every day when I get up as guideposts? Here it is. Here is what it means to live as a Christian. Set yourself towards these things. And I think Paul really does that for us in Romans chapter 12. He gives us the motive. He gives us the aim. He gives us the, the process of the Christian life. So let's, let's look at these things. Go back to Romans chapter 12. And let's begin to look at the, the motive of the Christian life. So Paul shows us first what is the motive? What is the fuel of the Christian life? And we see this by how Paul appeals to these Christians. Right? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to... Then he tells them what to do. Right? So how does he appeal to these Christians? He appeals on the basis of God's mercies. Uh, the NIV says, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So we can think, again, this, this passage is connecting... The therefore tells us Paul is taking everything he's just said through chapters 1 through 11 and he's now connecting it. Therefore. So we can think of it as if Paul has led us in Romans chapter 1 1 through 12. Paul has led us on an expedition, a tour of the mercies of God, the heights of the gospel. He's led us Right through the valley of sin, our sin and our depravity. Right, chapters one through three, we start by going down into the valley. We see our sin. We see there is no one who does good. No, not one. We see our depravity, and then he leads us up. Right up the heights of God's mercy to us in Christ, through chapters four through eleven. He. Now, and we can imagine we've, we've, we've climbed to the top of the mountain and it's as if Paul has said, now turn around and look, right? Look at the view, All right? If any of you have ever climbed a mountain, I know there's not too many of them in Michigan, uh, but there are places where there's mountains, right? And you climb up that mountain, you get to the top and you turn around and you look at all where you've came. You see the view from the top, you see the, the trees, the valley below, the the sky, the beauty. Well, Paul is, has led us to the top of God's mercies to us in Christ. And he says, now turn around and look. Look at the mercies of God to you. Right? Look, look at your unworthiness. Look at that valley. You were down there. Now God has brought you by his mercy through the work of Christ, through the blood of Christ. He's brought you into his love and into his favor, into his unmerited grace. Look at that. And be amazed. Be amazed at God's mercy towards you. Behold and wonder. And now, on the basis of that unmerited mercy of God, live in grateful obedience to the Lord. So the motive of the Christian life is the mercy of God to us in Christ. The motive of the Christian life is not to earn or to merit the mercy of God. 
The motive of the Christian life is not even to earn earthly blessings, right? Oh, well, if I live this way, if I obey the commands, God will, God will bless my life. That's, that's not the, the motive. It's mercy already given. The fuel of the Christian life is the mercy of God received fully and freely through Jesus Christ. That's the fuel. That is, that is the gas that runs the engine of the Christian heart. The mercy of God. What Christ has done for me. <clears throat> A quote from uh, Jerry Bridges. One of the books Jerry Bridges wrote. Uh, he says, The entire Christian life, from start to completion, is lived on the basis of God's grace to us through Christ. We are brought into God's kingdom by grace. We are sanctified by grace. We receive both temporal and spiritual blessings by grace. We are motivated to obedience by grace. We are called to serve and enabled to serve by grace. We receive strength to endure trials by grace. And finally, we are glorified by grace. The entire Christian life is lived under the reign of God's grace. Right? That is the motive of the Christian life. That is what should move us to serve, to, to love, to live as Christians. The, the mercy of God. So if the mercy of God towards us in Christ, if that is our motive and fuel in the Christian life, then we must constantly be filling our tank, so to speak, by preaching the gospel to ourselves. Right Again, the, the gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for believers. It is for us. It is for people who have walked with the Lord for years. We still need that gospel. We still need to know that we are saved by grace, that his mercy is towards us and great towards us. We need to preach the promises of the gospel to ourselves. And we do this by meditating on the person and work of Jesus Christ, by constantly looking to Christ in the scripture, seeing who he is, seeing his character, seeing his work on the cross, seeing his resurrection, seeing his work for us even now as our high priest before the Father, rehearsing the promises of God in his word. And also we do it by gathering together to read the word, to pray the word, to sing the word, and the glorious truths of the gospel. So the motive, the fuel of the Christian life, is the mercy of God. By the mercies of God, Paul appeals to us to live and to act and to offer ourselves. Right? And you think of, you think of an engine. Right? If you put the wrong fuel in the engine, right? I'm a truck driver, so the truck I drive for work runs on diesel. My personal car runs on gasoline. If I switch those two things around, I'm going to be in trouble, right? One of those engines is just going to blow up and not work, right? So the same is true as a Christian. What, what do we fuel our hearts with? What do we fuel our lives with, right? The fuel of a Christian is different than the world, right? The fuel of a Christian is turning a, 
again and again and again to the mercies of God. All right, as we, as we read uh, in Exodus, you know, again, think of here's this great day of deliverance that we just read about, the Passover. That was God's mercy. By His mercy, He rescued these people. By His mercy, He rescued the Israelites, brought them out of Egypt, and then brought them to Mount Sinai. By His mercy. Same with us. In in Christ, He's rescued us. Christ is our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed for us. We've been redeemed not, not because of our own merits, not because of our own performance, but because of His mercy. And so that, that is our fuel. Now we look at the aim of the Christian life. So, so Paul says, by the mercies of God, right, I appeal to you, brothers, by his mercies, to what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the aim of the Christian life, what are we aiming for? What, when we wake up each day, what, is, what does it mean to live as a Christian in this day? What, what am I going towards? What's the main point and goal of living as a Christian in this world? Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, of course, this statement is strange and paradoxical, isn't it? Present your body as a living sacrifice. I mean, a living sacrifice is really an oxymoron, isn't it? Right? Living is one thing and sacrifice is another. Sacrifice is usually something that dies, right? Um, But thankfully, Paul clarifies his meaning with the next statement. So I think with living, present your bodies as a living sacrifice is an idea that Paul is presenting. And then I think he's explaining it by the next statement. Holy and acceptable to God. The aim of the Christian life is summarized in one word. Holiness. Holiness. But of course Paul's strange statement actually helps us to see what this holiness is and what it includes. So when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, he's not saying that the rest of us doesn't matter. He's not saying your mind doesn't matter, your heart doesn't matter. He's not saying that. But here, body is representative of the whole being of our person. And we do this often in in communicating and talking. We, We put part of something to represent the whole thing. Right? There's a fancy word for that that I can never pronounce right. So I don't even try. But, uh, you know, think back to those of us who, you know, were, were young back in the 90s. You know, and your buddy came to you and said, Hey, dude, I got a new set of wheels. You know, you didn't say, Oh, you bought new tires? No, you understood when he said, I got new wheels, that he was talking about an entire car, right? He bought a new car. But he's just using... The term wheels, one part of that, to refer to the whole thing. So Paul is doing the same thing here. When he says, offer your bodies, he's not just saying, okay, you know, take my hands. No, he's saying, offer all of yourself. 
your whole self. So body is in place of the whole. Our body is the vehicle through which our heart and mind give obedient expression to God. Right? Think of that. Your body is a vehicle. God made us in a body so that through this body, our heart and our mind might give expression to our trust in God, our obedience to him through this vehicle. So we, um, I lost my place in my notes. So okay, we see the, we've seen the same idea, the same idea also in Romans chapter 6. So you can hop over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God As instruments for righteousness. So this is really a a fuller statement of what he's telling us in Romans chapter 12. The same idea. Present yourselves to God. And what does that include? Your members, your body. Present your body to God as instruments for righteousness. So we have the very same idea there. So the first part of holiness then is all of me, right? Holiness means all of me is being offered to God. Mind, heart, body, all of me, all of me to God. We see in Mark chapter 12 verse 30, We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So holiness is offering all of who we are to God in love. The aim of the Christian life is to present our whole self, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength to God in grateful worship and obedience. That is, we desire for every thought Every desire that we have that comes from our heart, every pleasure, every motive, every action to be done in faith and obedience and for the glory of God. Right? That, that's the desire of a Christian. I want everything, God, everything that I do. I know, we're going to get to this later, I know it doesn't always happen. I know it doesn't happen the way that I want it to. But God, I want, I, that is my inmost desire, that everything, every part of me would be done through faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to God and for his glory. So this is an important element of holiness. Holiness is an inner disposition, an inner attitude of reverence and love for God, which moves us to offer our whole being, our whole self, the inner life of our heart, and mind, the outer life of our speech and behavior 
to offer it all to God in grateful obedience to his revealed will. So holiness includes the idea of all of me, right? all of who I am offered unto God. But then there's another part to it. Uh, now we can come specifically to this phrase, living sacrifice, this strange phrase. What does Paul mean by this? Living, I think the word living is key because, of course, like we said, that's not what you expect to go along with sacrifice. What we expect is dead, right? death, slain. Old Testament sacrifices were slain. They were not living. But the apostle, Paul, seems to want to draw our attention to how our living is worship and service to God. And it's interesting because there's two deliberate contrasts in, this, in these verses. Two deliberate contrasts. One, of course, is living sacrifice. That's a, a contrast. But the other contrast is with offer your bodies. And then at the end of that verse, it says this is your spiritual worship. Right? Some of your translations would say reasonable service. But the ESV says spiritual sacrifice. So we have this contrast between offering our bodies and that being a spiritual worship. So how can offering my physical body be a spiritual worship unto God? The spiritual worship of a Christian is done in and with our bodies, not just our hearts and our minds. Worship is not just high thoughts about God, or just a warming of our heart as we sing. Now, of course, it can include those things. It includes those things. But it also then must continue into our life, into our daily living. It is the practical living of every area of our life for the glory of God and in obedience to his revealed will. That's what a living sacrifice is. So, all of me and all that I do unto God is holiness, right? Everything. Paul shows us in the rest of the book of Romans how we should live to please God. And so that's what the rest of the book of Romans is laying out for us. We'll take a whirlwind view of the rest of the book of Romans. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. We should humbly use our gifts for the good of the church. We should patiently and joyfully endure hardship, leaving vengeance to God. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. We should submit to the governing authorities, giving them proper honor and payment. Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. We should continue to obey the second table of the law and love our neighbor as ourself. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. We should live in peace and unity with fellow believers, not quarreling over differences of opinion, doing nothing to cause our brother to stumble. Romans chapter 14. All right, so look at all these areas. Our, area, our, our life... In, in the fellowship of the Christian community, our life under governing authorities, how we exercise our gifts, loving our neighbor, all of life. And then 
If we go beyond the book of Romans and look at other letters of Paul, especially I'm thinking of the book of Ephesians or the book of Colossians, follows that same kind of pattern, doesn't it? Doctrine in the first few chapters, application in Christian living in the last few chapters. Lots of Paul's letters follow that pattern. So if we look at the book of Ephesians, we have children obey your parents. Husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. So marriage and family, that area of our life, we should be bringing to God as a living sacrifice, offering to him uh, our employment and how, how if we're uh, the managers, how we should treat those under us. If we're the ones down below, how we should honor those who are above us. Our work life, our home life, every area of life is brought into this umbrella of offering ourselves to God to live for him in obedience to him through faith in Christ and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So what's the aim? The aim of the Christian life, all of me for the glory of God. All that I do for the glory of God. There's no area in our life, there's no area within me or outside of me that is that I hold back from God. Everything. Everything is for Him. Everything to be lived for His glory. So, the motive of the Christian life is the mercies of God. The aim of the Christian life is holiness. To bring all of me and all of my life into joyful and grateful obedience to my gracious God and Savior. Now, if we lived in a perfect world without indwelling sin, Paul could just stop there. <laughs> End of story. There's your Christian life. Go ahead. Go do it. But we have indwelling sin, don't we? We live in a fallen world. And so the next thing that Paul shows us in Romans chapter 12 is the process of the Christian life. And we see that in verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we have a process here. Paul describes this process both in the negative and in the positive The negative is do not be conformed to this world. And this is summarized very well in Psalm chapter 1. You can keep your finger there in Romans 12 and turn over to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Right? Not conformed to the pattern of this world. There's a good description of what that means. Here's a man who refuses to follow the philosophies of a godless world. Here's a man who refuses to stand and to do 
what sinners do, to live as those who do not know God. He's saying, I will not be conformed to that pattern, to that way of living and thinking. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's the negative part. But then the positive, uh, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And again, I think this is illustrated very well by the very next verse in Psalm chapter 1. Right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So I think there's a connection, right, between the transforming of our minds and the delighting in the law of God and meditating upon it day and night. How, how do we transform our minds? Well, it's through the word of God. As the Holy Spirit illuminates and applies the word of God to our minds and to our hearts, our minds are changed, are transformed, our hearts are transformed to desire new things, to have new delights, new passions, godly passions, and to follow those things. So the renewal of our mind happens in relationship to the Word of God. It happens when the Holy Spirit illuminates, impresses, and applies the truth of Scripture to us so that we understand, embrace, and obey the revealed will of God. So we must realize that this is a process. This is a process. And this is the process of sanctification. Right? This is what sanctification is. The daily, day-by-day, gradual growth in godliness. And this is so important to understand. Your Christian life Your Christian maturity is a process. And again, here's where we come to so many different voices out there that will say, oh, we have a quicker way, right? We have a quicker way. We have the instant pot version of the Christian life. Do these things. Crank up the heat. Bam. That's not the way sanctification works. It is a slow, day-by-day step-by-step process of growth. And again, this is a truth I wish I had understood sooner in, in my Christian life. You know, I think some of you know, you know I grew up in a, in a charismatic church and that was kind of the, 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 the understanding of the Christian life is that if you would just have this experience or if you would just be prayed for by this person or if you would just go on this mission trip or this youth retreat... Right, you would, I mean, you would take off like a rocket, right? You would be super Christian by the time you're 16. Uh, But that's just not how it works. There is a process, there is a gradual, growing, step by step process. And this is it, right? It's, It's continuing to fuel. That motive, continuing to fuel yourself upon the gospel. Like Paul said in Colossians. You know, here are these super duper apostles. But they've lost connection to who? To Christ. They've stopped looking and clinging and feeding upon, abiding in Christ 
as their life and their strength. And they've run off to these other things, looking for fast growth, looking for a new way, a better way, an easier way. But that what looks like their growth is not growth. It's hollow. True growth from God comes when we abide in Christ, abide in the mercies of God, when we day by day by day offer ourselves, our hearts, our lives, our families, our jobs, our moments, our days, our months, our years to God. That's the process. There's no skipping around it. And we, we see people in the scriptures who may have tried to skip that process, right? We have Moses, right? I'm sure he had an inkling of a suspicion. I think God has spared me to be the people's deliverer. Okay, so here's my plan. <laughs> We're going to start an insurrection, right? I'm going to take these Egyptians out one by one. And God says, no, 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 no. Moses, go to the desert. Go sit there, watch some sheep for 40 years. I'll call you back when I think you're ready. Right? He intentionally puts him in these places. Puts him in a place to be a no one. To rely upon God. To wait upon God. Until he is ready. Until his heart is... Well, until he realizes... He has nothing, right? He has no strength. He has no power. Until he realizes, I can't deliver these people. And then God says, okay, now you're ready. When you realize you can't do anything and that you're relying on God, now it's time. So, it's a process. and We cannot skip that process. The Holy Spirit convicts us, illuminates things in our life. He illuminates truth. He slowly teaches us the truth's of the scriptures teaches us the will of God in these areas and then empowers us to put sinful thoughts to death sinful attitudes and words and actions to death and we are more and more and more conformed to the image of our savior Jesus Christ and this is a process that will continue throughout our whole life as a believer you're not going to get to a place as a Christian where okay I'm 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 there I've arrived. No, that will be when we die and see Christ. It doesn't end in this life. We will not be freed from sin's presence or the battle that it creates in our hearts until we die. But I want to apply this truth particularly uh, as an encouragement to, to Christians, to young Christians, to new believers. Right? Realize that your Life is a gradual growth. It's not an instantaneous maturity. Uh, and often when we're in the middle of that struggle, when we're in that middle of dealing with our own sins and discouragements or weaknesses, uh, we can wonder even about our own salvation, can't we? Anybody been in that place? We can wonder, am I, am I even a, a Christian? I keep you know, stumbling, I keep doing these things. But I want us to look at 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. 
1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. So the Apostle John writes, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So we kind of see these, you know, children, fathers, young men, right? And and we can kind of divide that into, you know, uh, young, young believers and some who've been believers for a while, right? They have some strength and some maturity. And then the fathers of the faith, those who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, they have Christian maturity. And so he he addresses all three of these groups. Uh, But look at what, he has the most tender words towards the youngest ones, doesn't he? He says, I write to you little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. Right? And we think of, you know, we think of children, and of course, you know, children, they stumble, they, they fall, they, they cry, they, you know, walk up in the middle of service and go to the bathroom when they're not supposed to, and you've got to yell at them to go back to their seat. You know, those kind of things. They do, they do children things, right? But yet we, we understand that. We understand they're children. They're immature now, if, you know, if my 13-year-old does that, then, then we have a different conversation, right? But, again, you know, if you're a young believer and you say, well, you know, but I, I continue to, you know, struggle with these things. These sins that I left when I turned to Christ, you know, they keep coming back. They keep knocking on my door. They keep, these struggles keep coming. These things keep coming back. But, again, look at what he says. Your sins are forgiven on account of his name. Your sins are forgiven. I might say, but there's so many. I know, but they're forgiven. They're forgiven, child of God. And then he says, I write to you, at the end of verse 13, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And we might, we're tempted to say, well, I don't know him the way I want to know him. Right? I want to know him better. I want to have a, a better knowledge of God. Yes, but you know him. Right? It's, it's, an, it's a true knowledge. It's a true relationship. Is it an immature one? Yeah, maybe. Is it a growing one? Yeah, I hope so. But it's a real one. It is a real relationship. You have a real relationship with God the Father. Your sins are forgiven on account of Christ and his blood. Do we want to stay little and immature? No, we want to grow. But if we're there, we're there. If we're children, we're children, but we're growing. We're taking a step every day. We're growing. We're progressing. So, I mean, I want to encourage you with this truth because I think it's as we're young in the Lord that we can get so discouraged about our relationship with God. We can get discouraged by this process. If we don't understand, it's a process. right? If we look over at the seasoned saints that have been walking with the Lord for 50 years... And we've only been walking with the Lord for two. We might, well, why am I not like them? I want to be like that. Well, you're on your way. 
You're making your way. Don't become discouraged. It is a process, step by step. I like, I love, uh, Paul Washer tells a story about, uh, you know, how, how he uh, would walk in the woods with his father, right? Hunting on a snowy day, you know, his, and so his dad is trudging through the snow and he's got these, you know, huge steps, huge, huge snow prints, right? And, you know, here he, he is as a child trying to match his father's steps, you know, and just looking silly in the process and falling over. And, you know, yeah, that's, that is who we are as young Christians. The steps of Christ are huge steps. They're big feet. He takes big strides. And we desire to match that. We desire, I want to walk like Jesus. I want to be merciful like him. I want to be holy like him. And we're just slipping and sliding all over the place. But still, the Lord looks back and he sees that heart. He sees that desire to be holy. He, he hears that cry, oh wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And then as we reach out to Christ, as we look again to the mercies of God, we can know these promises. Our sins are forgiven on account of his name. We know the Father. We're making our way. We're growing in strength. We're growing in Christian maturity. But it is a process. So here are the basics of the Christian life. The motive. Is your motive for living the Christian life gratitude towards the mercies of God? The aim of the Christian life. Holiness. To offer all that I am and all that I do for the glory of God. And the process of the Christian life. Sanctification. A daily transforming of our mind and our heart through the word of God and the gradual growth and progress towards our aim of holiness. So I want to really close by just echoing Paul's exhortation in Romans 12, 1 and 2. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the unfathomable mercy of God towards you in Jesus Christ, Live all of your life as unto God. All of your life before the face of God. Apply these great doctrines that you and I confess. Apply these great doctrines to your marriage, to your parenting, to your work. Making growth in godliness your daily agenda. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it is... One thing to talk of these things, it's another to, to do them, to practice them. Lord, we need your help. But again, we remind ourselves of your mercies towards us in Christ. That you chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You chose us to be holy and blameless. To forgive our sins. To unite us with Christ and make us the objects of your mercy and affection. And Lord, we, we are just dumbfounded by that truth, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, O oh God, to offer ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our lives, our days to you, O oh God. Take them, take, take us, Lord, and use us for your glory. Help us, Lord, not to despise the mundane things of life, but help us to transform them 
by doing it unto you for your glory and the strength that you provide through the Spirit, through Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, to not be discouraged by the slow progress that we often make, the slow climb up the mountain of sanctification, the many times that we feel like we have to go backwards and slide down the mountain instead of making progress up the mountain. But Lord, we thank you that through it all, we are in your hands, that you who have begun a good work in us will carry on that work, will keep it going until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we put our hope in you. Lord, we confess that our hope in life and in death is that we're not our own, but that we belong to you and to Christ, our, our Savior. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.